Welcome to the Shiro Podcast, where we celebrate women in the legal profession and discuss some of the challenges and issues they face. This podcast is brought to you by the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Shiro. Uh, today, we are here with the Texas Young Lawyers Association directors. I am Ashley Email, and I'm the director from Houston. This is Jay Forrester. I'm a Dallas area director and the representative for the Young Lawyers Division of the ABA from the north half of Texas. And with us, our interviewee for this episode is Anna Romanskaya. Anna, tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, I'm Anna Romanskaya. I hail to you from sunny San Diego in California. I am a family law attorney, so my practice involves everything from drafting and reviewing premarital agreements to all things divorce, custody, support, property division. I am a partner in a boutique law firm in downtown San Diego. It's called Stark and D'Ambrosio. There are five attorneys. I call us tiny but mighty. (laughs) We are predominantly a civil litigation firm, and I manage the family law division. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Um, So, Jay, you've met Anna before, yeah? Yeah, so Anna, you and I go back quite a bit of ways. I was actually trying to remember earlier today what city we were first in when we met. I know it was in Texas, but we've been in uh, Canada, the U.S., all throughout it in our term with the American Bar Association. A few years ago, there was a, a moment when I first started serving on, on the bar, and I just came to you and I asked, as the chair, how do you balance all of your, your time, professional obligations, bar service? So I think it would really help the audience if you could just tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I had the privilege of serving as the chair of the Young Lawyers Division for the American Bar Association in 2016-2017 bar year and uh, that was a really amazing and in a lot of ways life transforming experience. I call that my second full-time non-paying job. (laughs) So I had my practice and I also had uh, my service with the ABA and um, you know it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because I'm a partner in a small law firm and I manage a division of that firm. So I had to be on top of my caseload and I had to still work and practice, but also um, do what was necessary to serve the ABA and the the Young Lawyers Division. Um, Some days were better than others. Some days I was more organized than others, but I, I created a system that worked for me. It's not... You know, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but it worked for me where I prioritized between the ABA and my practice, so my non-paying gig and my paying gig, <laughs> with um, just just into a groove. So I tended to focus my mornings of the week on my ABA work. So there were quite a bit of emails, conference calls. So the daily routine, I concentrated doing my bar service work in the mornings and I carved it out and I let my staff know the office and I let everyone on the ABA side know that that's when I'm most available and then my afternoons were focusing on my cases and again some days were better than others and when I was traveling to various meetings and conferences you know I had to I had to adjust for that but kind of on a daily basis that that was one technique that 
worked for me. Um, for some people, I know some of my, my colleagues who served in this position, they had separate emails. That did not work for me. That actually <laughs> added more stress and anxiety, checking multiple emails. So um, what worked for me was just car- carving out time. Well, of course, we're, we're here for the podcast series, She Rose, and, and you are a Shiro of mine, and largely because you taught me how to block my time. And so that's something that I do now. I have multiple emails, and that's, that's helped me a lot. And it's almost seemed to go so far the opposite direction that when people call me or reach out to me during a block that isn't meant for bar leadership or isn't meant for phone calls, it almost stresses me out because I want to say, hey, this is my bar leadership time. You can't bother me with the law firm, or this is the law firm time. You can't bother me with, with bar leadership time. But you know, thank you for, for those lessons that, that you left with me and Really, since you left the role you had as the ABA chair, can you share with us how your life is, has changed? I hope you have more free time. Uh, well, I'm still, I'm still involved just in different capacities and different levels of bar service, um, but it's, it's definitely been an amazing experience. I, the relationships I've developed are just... It, it, it's just unparalleled, and I'm involved on the local level as well within my county bar, and, you know, I, I enjoy that experience as well, but the relationships I've built I mean, with, with folks like yourself, the opportunity to go and visit different cities, different states, and I had the privilege of traveling internationally as well and seeing how some of our colleagues overseas practice and handle similar issues that we experienced, not least of which is time management and this work-life balance dance that we do, um, has really, really just enhanced me personally, professionally, the way that I'm able to service my clients, the way that I'm able to have professional relationships, personal relationships. So that's my big takeaway. Today, I was walking around and I was contacted by one of my colleagues that I met during my chair year from Greece because he has a colleague of his that's coming to the States and has some questions and needs some assistance with a case that they're working on. And they reached out to me because I'm their contact in the U.S. And it gave me that perspective of like, oh, my God, you know, my, my reach and just the, the context that I have are, are literally global. And you never know when those kind of opportunities come out. I get asked a lot about, you know, why I choose to spend my time, my volunteer time, especially with the National Bar Association and what I get out of it. And, you know, I talk about the relationships and I talk about public service. Um, I think a lot of times those questions stem of, well, does it really resonate with business and can you quantify it? And, um, you know, reflecting on the experience again today where I'm contacted by somebody overseas about, them needing local counsel or just assistance with a case is, you know, is, is really invaluable. And I definitely, to answer your question, Jay, more pointedly, I've, uh, since my bar tenure and leadership, I've, I've absolutely seen my business increase and not just my personal one, but for my firm, because I'm, you know, I had this, this very visible and prominent role and my name was out there. That's great. Absolutely. And you know what I love about all of this is I think different people um, find different ways to find satisfaction outside of the practice, right? So for you, it was really dedicating your time to the bar, 
to exploring our international colleagues and that sort of thing. Um, other people might volunteer for different charities, things of that sort. And I think it's a huge um, issue that lawyers face of how to balance the things that fulfill them and the work that they need to do because that is also their passion and their livelihood, mm-hmm. right? So I love the blocking um, suggestion. I think that is usable even if you're not in bar service. Um, and I love the idea that you were so dedicated to something that you got really personal fulfillment out of. And I love the idea that you can promote your firm and your practice through your service. I think it's a brilliant way to to promote that as well. Well, I mean, the one thing I'll add is, particularly for new young lawyers who are developing their practice, developing their niche, irrespective of what type of practice you're in, whether you're in in a firm that requires you to bring in business and develop your own practice, or whether you're in government or a nonprofit or education where the business development side may not be as paramount, you know, let alone the whole CLE and and all of that, I think just by building relationships and becoming involved in any act of public service, whether it's bar service, whether it's a charity, whether it's nonprofit, whether it's sports, whatever fills you, that necessarily, I think, makes you a better professional because it builds character, your strength, your resilience, right, to whatever circumstances may come your way. It develops connections because you never know where you're going to be tomorrow. You may be loving your job today and something may change in your life and you're going to need to vary it up. And it's those relationships that you've developed and that development of your reputation, which necessarily happens when you're involved in these volunteer capacities, that's ultimately what's going to be your most, I think, most most relevant currency, frankly, when yeah. you are trying to transition. I'm a little bit of a, of a unicorn because I've been with the same firm for the past 11 years, but, you know, nothing is guaranteed. And I, I feel fortunate that I have colleagues that I can turn to who know my, my reputation, my value, and can vouch for me if I was to transition. And I think particularly for young lawyers who are kind of figuring out their, their place and what it is that fulfills them, that is key is to develop those relationships, develop a solid reputation and volunteerism necessarily makes that happen to them. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so one more question that I just thought of another element to this whole work life balance. Um, we've been speaking specifically about balancing service, volunteer time, and your your work, your paid time, your paid jobs. Um, I noticed that you're married mm-hmm. as well. So how does all of that then fit into also keeping your family life balanced on top of it all? Uh, yeah. <laughs> my, my husband, who is not a lawyer, um, I, I say he supports my crazy. Yeah. Um, you know what? It's, it's challenging sometimes. I don't have kids yet, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of respect for people that do and are involved in particularly bar service because it takes a lot of time and particularly on the national level where there's travel involved and for people that choose to do that to really optimize that experience I have a lot of respect because it very much is a balancing act and um, you know to be frank a lot of times it's prioritizing and and kind of justifying the value so sometimes it's not possible to do it all effectively Sure. Absolutely. You know, so 
I mean, that's that's just reality. So I think balancing of where the priorities are, and sometimes that means saying no mm-hmm. to either a requirement at work or, or a requirement in your volunteer capacity. Sometimes it means, you know, working late. Sometimes <laughs> it means waking up really early. Sometimes it just means that you might need to re reprioritize some things. You know, one thing that um, I learned through the ABA, I'm in a leadership academy right now through the tort trial insurance practice section of the ABA. And we had this really fantastic seminar where um, one of the conversations was about work-life balance and how to kind of make it all work. And one of the most valuable pieces that I got out of it was this concept of the 10%. And it's not a novel concept. I think in, in the business world, they talk about this. But it's basically, if you look at whether it's your day or whether it's your a particular project that you're working on, as 100%. And you take 10% of that as in, in the list of priorities, that is your least important. It doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't right. mean it doesn't have to get done. But it's just... Out of the 100%, that 10% is maybe the bottom of the list. So you can look at it at a day's work, and then you come home, and maybe the dishes are done. And you're like, but I'm really tired, and I, I really should get my sleep, or I'd rather take a shower, but the dishes are done. Is that part of my 10%? Meaning I can leave that for a later time. Gotcha. Or if you're working on a particular project, and this is an example for me because I'm, I'm kind of anal, working on a, on a project, on a deadline, and I'm looking at my, my physical file and I notice that the file isn't in the exact order that I need it to be. And so I want to get distracted by that and then spend 20 <laughs> minutes organizing my file yes. before I go back to this project that is on a hard deadline. Mm-hmm. And so the concept of this 10% is like, you know what, this file, it needs to be organized, but not right now. Right. And so I'm going to put this in my 10% pile and then I'm going to come back to it because I'm going to prioritize on this thing that I'm working on that has a deadline. So this whole that. idea of 10%, which I learned after my, my chair year, which is literally a recent <laughs> kind of a light bulb moment, but it's yeah. really helped me a lot in terms of the balancing and prioritizing and figuring out what I need to get done right now, what can wait till an hour from now, what can wait till a day from now. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I, I share that in the idea of, work-life balance management and prioritizing is to keep in mind what needs to get done now, what could wait, whether it's the paying gig, whether it's for the volunteer gig, whether it's for family, Mm -hmm. and kind of everything in between. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm recently engaged, and one of the things that I've been working on has been how did my also non-lawyer fiancé how do I help him understand? (laughs) And so I've been working a lot on just that communication. Um, you know, what's really helped for me is to have my husband come to some of the events, yeah. to have him meet the people that I affiliate with mm-hmm. and the work that I do, and to also become invested in it. So it's not just, oh, this is really important to her. This right. is this is a priority in our relationship. And, you know, it might not always be number one, but it's, you know, in that top maybe five sure, yeah. of things to do and things to be done. So by including them, and the same thing goes for him and the things that he cares about. He's really into cycling. 
I just learned how to ride a bike about five years ago, <laughs> thanks to him. So things like that, you know, it's not yeah. exactly the same, but, you know, to share in those experiences, I think, um, definitely makes the relationship stronger. And I noticed that, um, in particularly with the ABA, that there are people who are heavily involved that bring their kids, that bring mm-hmm. their families, and they just include them in that experience so that they understand the time and also the just how they prioritize so that yeah. if their parent or if their spouse is spending time away from home, they know what it is. Yeah. And so there's that additional security in the relationship as well. And there's, it almost makes it a priority for them too because I know a lot of people, spouses and kids, look forward to getting to come to the yeah. event that they get to come to every year. I know with the Texas Young Lawyers Association, we have a family weekend. One of our quarterly board meetings is a family meeting. Um, and so it's, oh, I have to go do this thing for Texas Young Lawyers. And they say, okay, go do it. Because as long as you are still involved, I get to go to that family meeting, right? Um, so I think that's really an amazing piece of advice to keep your loved ones involved. In Definitely. As well. So with all the, I feel like we're talking about a lot of different, a lot of different challenges. I mean, with all the different challenges, would you still say that knowing what you know now that you still would go down the same path that you went down of bar leadership service? Absolutely, hands down. I, I can't, I can't even fathom what my experience just in a legal profession would be without it. It's kind of like my safe haven. It's, it's so funny. I, I talk, I try to explain to my family, um, and I try to explain to some of my childhood friends who are not lawyers, who are, you know, just completely different life about why I do all of this and they think I'm nuts, right? Like they, oh, they, yeah. they see my social media and like, oh my God, what city are you in now? And what, what project are you involved with now? Do you ever practice? Do you ever do your lawyering thing? <laughs> you know, so I get those kind of questions all the time. And, and I mean, I, I say this is, this is my professional life. It's my social life. It's, you know, my personal development, my professional development, the perspective I have that I then utilize in my cases. You know, I, I became an attorney really young. I'm one of those that went straight from undergrad to law school. I graduated law school, passed the bar when I was 24. That's really young. That's super young. I thought... Oh, we have a savant on the episode. Good night. (laughs) I thought I knew everything at that time, of course, right? Because, you know, I mature for my age, right? But, I mean, reflecting back and particularly doing family law dealing with people who are in this transition space in their life, but also with really complex issues like divisions of business assets and taxes and real estate, let alone the relationship dynamics and aspect. And having a frame of reference is vital to build trust, especially as a young lawyer, particularly as a female. And that is really challenging. And to endear yourself to your clients, to my partners, to the community, to trust me, to hire me, to, you know, trust me to handle their case, let alone to advance in my professional career or get paid what I'm worth and all that jazz. You know, it was, it was really challenging and hands down my service in the bar and particularly with my, the, the young lawyer kind of contingency of it. Because these are my colleagues, these are my cohorts, right? They're my classmates. To be able to have that support system, to bounce these ideas off each other, to not 
be afraid to ask the silly questions and yeah. like, how do I read a tax return? Can somebody <laughs> please explain this to me so that I could sound competent to my client when I'm talking about their income? Do you know how to do that? <laughs> I've, I've gotten a lot better because of just being able to ask that kind of question, yeah. you know, that I frankly felt embarrassed to ask for some of my mentors and my colleagues because I wanted to be considered you know, on par with them. Right. So having that opportunity was absolutely invaluable and still is, you know, and today I'm 11 years out in my practice and seeing the people who I struggled with and grew up with and, you know, complained about how we had no money or we felt so silly <laughs> and like we had to have this, you know, mask of I know what I'm doing, but on the inside where you're like, holy crap, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and now they're senior partners in major firms, they're right. in-house counsel, they're, you know, doing all these amazing things, and some of them have left the practice, but we're still being able to have that camaraderie that was built way back when, and we've grown up with each other, that there's this trust, and, you know, they, they're sending cases now, but also to have that ability to bounce ideas and continue growing yeah. and learning is is invaluable. So absolutely, I would do the, the same thing with all the... All the pros and cons and the sacrifices and in between. No kidding. So I just really quick, one interesting thought that came to mind is I think um, bar service has provided a unique opportunity to build relationships in that way. Like that, this is a place for me where I have found that I have made friendships that allow for asking stupid questions. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like a lot of your other interactions, even with lawyers that are at your same level or your peers, you're perhaps still trying to save face right? Because you don't know each other. And bar service just provides a unique space to get to know each other well enough to let down some walls and be able to say, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Can you give me some advice? So I think that's really wonderful and a great reminder as well. Definitely. Well, it's a different, it's a different context, right? Because when you're sitting around a, when you're sitting at a meeting and you're talking about, you know, what kind of a public service projects to bring to your community or how do you create a program or I mean it's like logistical things so you're not practicing law right right it's a completely yeah. different skill set it's a different aspect of your personality that comes mm -hmm. out because you're forced to collaborate you're forced to accept other ideas and how well you do that necessarily you know develops your reputation and your rapport your ability to lead your ability to you know create and then that translates into your daily life and the way you treat your relationships but whether Absolutely. it's professional or personal again yeah. irrespective of what practice setting you're in so it's those skills to be able to learn how to listen right and sometimes how to lead effectively and collaborate sure. and work with different personalities sort of like that hr aspect is the, these are skills that are not taught in law school. Absolutely not. You know, that are not taught in, unless you like have a sales background, you know, right. or have yeah. some kind of a marketing background or, you know, worked at a Starbucks or something where right. you develop those skills. Like service industry, yeah. You know, they're not taught in the practice. They're not. The practice is mostly contentious. Like, talk about well, right. <laughs> not, and, not collaborating as much. Well, but so being able to sit around in mm -hmm. kind of a meeting setting, yeah. and that's, I think, particularly distinctive to bar service, whether it's at right. a local level, at a state level, on a national level, just that opportunity to sit with different personalities and yeah. figure out how to work with each other <laughs> and get something accomplished yeah. is a extremely important skill just in life. 100%. For our listeners, I wish they could have seen your 
your eyes when you talked about personalities. So I'll give you the opportunity if you if you were thinking of any particular personalities when you, you gave us that look, <laughs> you're welcome to share. But we can move on. <laughs> it's I mean you know I. I don't think I necessarily need to define the different types of personality types. I mean, you... That become lawyers, 100%. Yeah, and even and even those that aren't lawyers. I mean, think about if you are in any kind of an office setting and you have, you have support staff mm-hmm. who sometimes are more supportive than others. Sometimes <laughs> you have, you know, bosses. Sometimes you have colleagues. Sometimes you have, you know, the, your, your associates yeah. or, you know, those that are under you. And so you're in this kind of position of leading on multiple levels where you might not even realize you're leading. Sometimes you are in a position where you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And how do you do that? Whether it's to obtain a client or, or you know, obtain a raise to make what you are worth, mm-hmm. you know, or, or get that assignment that, you know, maybe you're not getting. I mean, how these are transferable skills, you sure. know, so dealing with different personality types, whether you're sitting there collaborating in a traditional kind of around the table where everybody's equal setting or whether you're in this multi-level to to just know how to do that is effectively right is a um part of the practice (laughs) and i mean talking about different personality types let's talk about all the clients that come through your doors right a million and one different personality types who you are both serving and leading right Mm -hmm. they hired you you were providing a service but at the same time, you are the expert. So we are also having to lead them in the direction of whether or not they follow <laughs> yeah. is another question. But that's that's amazing. I feel like you just gave us a list of about 100. But if you had to narrow it down to, to three, what would be your, your top three pieces of advice for new lawyers out there? Knowing all these things that you know now, personalities, <laughs> bar conferences... Um, top three things, I think, I would say, and in, in not in any particular order of priority, but I would say one of them should definitely be, you know, find something that grounds you and reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing. So if you are, whatever practice setting you're in, just basically why you became a lawyer, why you went into this profession, and, and kind of reflect on that, why why it is that you're doing what you're doing. And that will give you the ability to sort of check in with yourself on whether you are in the right space, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, in community service, paying gig, non-paying, whatever. So find find something that grounds you and it's individual to you. The other thing I would say is figure out how to prioritize for yourself. You know, whether it's the concept of the 10%, whether it's uh, figuring out a calendaring system, a time management system, but something where you, that you control, that is personal to you, that helps you manage the crazy. Maybe not balance, <laughs> but at least manage the, the crazy. Yeah. And um, along with that, you know... If you are not healthy, nothing else matters, right? Your own personal health and and emotional, mental, physical, nothing else. Because, like, you know, if you don't have your health, all your professional success, like, none of that matters. So um, don't forget yourself. 
probably the best way I can say that. You know, whether it's working out, whether it's finding, you know, an hour in the day to sleep or play Candy Crush or whatever it may be. <laughs> whatever know? turns your brain off for a second. Whatever yeah. you need to reboot to make sure and you prioritize that. Mm-hmm. You know, in your list of priorities, in your, in your you know, full spectrum, to really focus on, on health and well-being and to make sure that that is, that is strong and that you have, you know, some sort of support system mm-hmm. for yourself to keep your sanity. So in other words, you don't want health to fall into that 10%. No. No. <laughs> no. And, and I think it, does, it so easily does. It that. is. It's like, you know, I have this deadline, so I'm going to skip lunch because right. I have to work. Or, you know, I was going to take this yoga class, but I have, you know, my kid's soccer or yeah. soccer tournament that mm-hmm. I have to make. Or, you know, you make these excuses where you kind of, before you know it, you're, you're struggling. You know, physically, mentally, you know, body image, like alcohol, whatever it may be. So to try to keep that in mind with whatever you do. And that's such a such a good message. I I remember my my first year of practice. One of the at the time I thought it was weird when I went to a museum with friends and someone walked up to me and handed me a piece of paper and told me to draw this this picture and I thought I'm a lawyer I'm so busy I don't have time for this and then I spent the next hour drawing this picture and it was one of the so two of the things you said one of the healthiest things I did that year and it helped me get grounded in, in my childhood and things I loved outside of the, the law and I, I really just really thank you for that message and I hope young lawyers out there you actually listen to that part of it and just while I'm, I'm here and I'm talking and I'm interviewing you and I'm asking you to come up with random list of three and you're doing a great job. <laughs> I've got another list of three questions that I, I ask to everybody who interviews with our firm. So you're going to get it. You ready? I'm ready. All right. All right. <laughs> so it's, it's 3 a.m. and your house catches on fire. I'm so sorry. It caught on fire. You can take three things with you out the door. What are your three things you bring? Okay, on the spot. Wait, do people count as a thing? Three, just say the three whatever (laughs) you would take on your way out. Yes, it can be a person. Uh, I don't know if I can carry my husband. He's 6'4 and like twice my size. He's got himself. He's good. Um, (laughs) Well, this is tough because it's it's very introspective. Um, We ask the tough tough questions here at TYLA. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Leap Year. Oh, yeah. But that's in there. <laughs> um, Leap Year? One? No, no, no. This question is in the movie. It's in the movie. Um, oh, so we're not original. I, can... I thought we were so original <laughs> at our law firm. I can tell you the one thing that I know I would definitely take, and this is important. Well, I can two things off the top of my head that I know I will definitely take. One is I have um, this little toy. Uh, it's like a little cat. It's a bobblehead. And it means absolutely nothing to anyone but me because I, this was the first toy that I got when I was a child. Back, so I was born in the Soviet Union. And my family, we were refugees and we immigrated when I was seven. And But this toy traveled with me from Russia. And 
I remember when I won it. I won it at a piano recital. I'm terrible, by the way, in piano. <laughs> but I won it, I think I must have been four or something. And this was like my pride and joy, my most prized possession. So that is definitely the thing, the very first thing I would grab without even thinking about it. Um, Ocean Cassidy. Yeah, Ocean Cassidy. Um, so that is, that I know for... For a fact. Um, the second thing that I know hands down I would take is I have a ring from my grandma that she gave me. And I'm not wearing it, but I but I have it and it's a family heirloom from her side of the family. And the other ones I have to... <laughs> those, but those two I know hands down. Try, try and grab her husband. You can put him in no. <laughs> He'll be grabbing me. So. <laughs> and to clarify for our listeners, how tall are you? Five, three and a half. Yeah, exactly. So and a half. this petite little lady <laughs> carrying a six four man. And I can, <laughs> well, she's she's a shiro. She a is shiro. a shiro. Absolutely. All right. So on the topic of shiros, and to close our interview today, uh, who are some of your shiros? Um, I think my my top shiro is my mom. My mom is is an amazing strong strongest person just woman I know my dad passed away when I was really young really suddenly and my mom had to figure it out and we were about five years in America so she was still learning English still trying to figure out how to navigate this country and um my dad suddenly passed away on the job. I was 11. My sister was 5. And she was 33. My dad was 33 when he passed away. And so she, like, somehow made it work. And I think I turned out okay. My sister turned out okay. Um, and she busted her butt to make sure we never felt different. So she's definitely one of my she heroes. Absolutely amazing. Um, well, on a, on a much first, first of all, <laughs> just thank you for for sharing that with us. I know that yeah. that's some that's that's one of the things that that I found from our leadership service is it's it's become a little bit of a of an arc, and I've got to the point where I've got so many friends like both of you guys that have started to become like family. And I think just having, you know, extended family around you gives you that, that space to, to share. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for being here with us. You did mention earlier that you have been involved in your, your local bar chapter. I'm so curious as to how much time you actually get to spend in San Diego. A lot more now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot more now. San Diego's great. I, everybody's invited. Come visit me. It'll be great. Um, so I was, so I chaired the, what we call new lawyer division of our San Diego County Bar Association. That was kind of my first introduction and paved my way into the ABA and particularly in the ABA YLD, that involvement. So I chaired that in 2010, 2011, and then just stayed involved with my local bar. And I just finished my service on the San Diego County Bar Board. Um, so that was that was great. I'm still involved there. I'm actually the, I think my official title is the new lawyer advisor to the board now because I'm still <laughs> working with our with our new lawyers. Um, 
I was on the board for the Lawyers Club of San Diego, which is a women's bar association. They do really amazing, amazing work. And I think it's neat that women is not in the title. It's just the Lawyers Club. Yep, it's Lawyers Club. I like that. And it's open to all genders, ethnicities, sexual orientations, and then some. And so when you're in San Diego nowadays, are you more of a, a beach person? Are you like me and you fly to the beach but spend all your day at Phil's Coffee? What's kind of your, your thing when you're there? Um, when, I, when I have free time, when I make free time, um, I try to be outdoors. So San Diego, I'm super fortunate to have good weather pretty much year-round. Um, I am now into cycling, thanks to my <laughs> husband. So usually on the weekends when I'm in town on Saturday mornings, you'll find me riding the coast on my bike. Not very fast, but at least I've stopped falling, so that's exciting. <laughs> and um, you know, sometimes you'll find me in a coffee shop. May or may not be Phil's, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just anything that allows me to relax and take my mind off and spend time with friends and family and outdoors and get some fresh air. Next time I'm in town, I'm going to first take you to Phil's so you can try the Phil's bagel and then we can spend <laughs> the rest of the time outside because I think that's how you're, you're supposed to spend your time in, in San Diego. We've actually been doing this podcast today from, from Colorado it's beautiful outside. I know we're all looking forward to getting outside soon, but thank you again so, so much for your time, your service, being one of my sheroes, <laughs> and just uh, just being being open and, and vulnerable and sharing with us today. My pleasure. You, you guys do amazing work. I am so impressed with DYLA. It is hands down, it's, it's just amazing. You guys are a powerhouse, and it's because of all of you that give your time and your service. And I've seen it firsthand because I've been to your meetings and I've seen the work you do and the projects that you all have are models for the whole country. And I'm, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm, I'm here <laughs> with you all. It's, it's true. I'm, I just am awed and amazed at the product that you all put out because of your teamwork. So keep at it. Appreciate and that. raise the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, this has been another episode of Shiro from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. I'm Ashley Email. And Jay Forrester. And a Roman Sky. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please support the work we're doing by liking the Texas Young Lawyers Association's Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at Tex Young Lawyers. And tune in for our next episode on Wonder Women Wednesday.